Welcome to Woke and Wired, a new conversation about expanded consciousness and entrepreneurship. We are here to shift the paradigm of business and marketing and social media in this digital age of infinite possibility and bridge our inner technology, our intuition with outer technology through rituals, personal development tools, conscious business practices, spiritual tools, and the magical tool of social media. I am your host, Xenia, storyteller, conscious social media teacher, speaker, and a multidimensional traveler. Welcome to the new paradigm. Welcome back to Woken Wired. I'm your host, Xenia, and I'm recording this, I think it's day 25 of quarantine, and it's been an incredible time to record podcasts. And I've been able to get some of the people for the second time whose first conversations with me were some of the most popular among listeners, like Anna Brown, she's an Ascension Guide, and Natalie Miles, a spiritual mentor and psychic medium. I have all these incredible conversations and recordings that I'm so excited to share with you. And every week I sit down and I tune into the energy of what's happening to make sure that what I'm sharing, the conversation that I choose for you, it really empowers and goes in harmony with the energies that are moving through. The interview that I'm sharing with you today is something that I was actually planning to release in June, but it became very clear very quickly for me that this is the conversation that can serve the collective and everyone's highest good the most at this time. Today my guest is Mark Elmi, a spiritual guide based in San Marcos La Laguna and Lake Atitlan in Guatemala. Anyone who has ever heard of Maya astrology has heard at some point about his website, The Four Pillars. Mark has been studying the teachings of the ancient Mayan civilizations for 22 years, and through his online presence, he shares the powerful teachings of Maya astrology, spirituality, and natural living on a mission to bring more harmony into the world. For me, Mark has become this iconic figure because I heard about him while doing my cacao ceremony facilitator training over a year ago with Florencia Friedman of Cacao Lab, and he is the voice that is most often known as someone who is the bridge or the translator of ancient Mayan teachings into the modern language of the modern life. And I've been lucky to study the calendar to some small capacity using the resources that he puts out there. And let me tell you, it just makes so much sense. He puts up YouTube videos with the energetic forecast every 13 days on YouTube. And he also posts the energetic forecast for the day, much like regular astrology you might be familiar with, on his website, thefourpillars.net. And when I actually take the time to tune into it and bullet journal for my month ahead and my week ahead and take into account the energies that are moving through according to the Mayan wisdom. And I found it to be very empowering. Mark is someone who left England over 20 years ago and came to Guatemala, was intuitively guided there, and never looked back. And now he lives as part of the community there and works directly with some of the Mayan elders. As of right now, there is no other podcast interview with Mark Elmi, so you're getting quite the insider conversation here. My wish is that it inspires you to connect deeper into your heart and follow what feels true for you. Some of the things that we discuss is how is Mayan sacred calendar different from astrology that we all might be familiar with? Why Mayan astrology can be used as a tool for decoding reality and purpose? What tarot and Mayan calendar have in common? What Mark's life in Guatemala looks like and what energy forces brought him there? 
Mark shares how the Mayan calendar can be applied to business. He also gives us a glimpse into the process of initiation that he has gone through personally. We talk about creating a digital altar and we talk extensively about ceremony and what ceremony means and what the most important components of it are and how we all can really live our lives as ceremony instead of having it be something outside and separate. And because when I think of Lake Atitlan in Guatemala, I think of cacao because that's where I traveled with my friends from Cacao Lab to go to the source and to meet the Mayan elders who have been the keepers of the cacao medicine. You can find a lot of that information and more coming on breakfastcriminals.com and my YouTube channel as well. There's a lot of footage that I haven't released yet, but I'm really called to release now. I asked Mark what role cacao in drinking sacred cacao plays in his life, and his answer is not what you might expect. If you are listening to this in the beginning of April, I invite you to join me for a cacao ceremony that I'm guiding on April 11th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. You can hit me up on Instagram to get details for that. And holding circles, intentional gatherings like that is something that is part of Breakfast Criminal Society, as well as the Woken Wired Portal, my two different membership platforms. I don't know what the future of the platforms hold. I'm in the process of rethinking a lot of the ways of how I do business and how I can serve in the highest way possible. But as of right now, that's an offering. So if you feel called, you're invited to join. And if you feel inspired by any part of this conversation, I would love you to take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram stories and tag at Wired so I can see it, I can connect with you, and I can be inspired by your takeaways and how you're applying this wisdom into your own life. If you haven't yet left a review and a rating for the podcast, please do. As of this week, it's been going up the charts like crazy, both in the spiritual category and the business category, which I'm beyond grateful for because it's only because you are listening to this. So thank you so much. Anyway, if it feels right in your heart and you have a moment, please go to the iTunes app and hit write a review. Reading those cracks my heart wide open every single time. I see every one of you, I'm with you, and we're here to create this new paradigm together. Here is Mark Almy. All right, Mark, I am so excited and honored to speak with you. Your name has come up many times in the past couple of years as I've been studying cacao ceremony. And you are the person who is demystifying Mayan astrology and Mayan cosmovision to a lot of people using the internet today. So I'm excited to chat with you and learn more about the world that you are opening up to a lot of people. Thank you. That's really kind of you. Yeah. Okay, please. I'm like, I'm really excited to share what I, what I can with you. And let's see where we can go. So let's start with where are you right now and what is it exactly that you do? Okay, right now I am in San Pablo La Laguna in Guatemala beside Lake Atitlan. I'm in my house, which I've, you know, I've, I've lived here for around about 11 years. And well, what do I do? I have several different strings to my bow in one way or another. I primarily, I suppose many people would see me or may see me writing on the net about the energy of the day according to the Mayan calendar. This is a distillation of something like 22 years of work with the calendar. But also, it's not just a case of like a desk job, as it were. I also have been initiated as a um, that's a Mayan spiritual guide, somebody who keeps the fire, somebody who keeps the calendar. I was initiated in 2015, so I just finished my my fifth anniversary, as it were. And so I do the practical aspect as well. So all of those things kind of like combine into one. And I try to share with the general world at large a little bit more information about this amazing system of 
uh, divination, this amazing system of keeping of time, and this amazing system which helps to bring harmony to our community. It really is an incredible system. I've been watching your videos pretty consistently, and I've been actually taking the time to sit down and create the sacred space and write down notes on what's coming and how it applies to me. And then as I look back at them, it's always spot on and it's always so supportive. So for those who don't know what Mayan astrology is, will you please give us a glimpse into what it is and how is it different from the astrology that most people in the world know? Certainly. So we are working with the sacred calendar. Now, here in Guatemala, there are somewhere in about there's 22 different Mayan languages alone. Mayan culture is incredibly diverse throughout this, this area. There is also somewhere around about 16 different calendars. But there is one calendar that ties together many, many people from Mesoamerica. And that we call the sacred calendar. Here in Guatemala, we call it the Cholk Ir. It is the count of days, and it is a 260-day calendar, which is based on a system which incorporates 20 energies. I would call them 20 essences of creation, with 13 numbers to give us our 260-day count. Now, that's kind of going to be a bit weird, right? Because 260 days doesn't necessarily seem to signify anything. You have this sky-watching culture. The ancient Maya were on a par with the ancient Egyptians. They were on a par with the, the Sumerians, the Babylonians, all of those great ancient sky-watching cultures. The ancient Maya left us codices full of astronomical data. Most of, you know, most of the codices, they're just full of the movements of planets. I say just full of them. They do them and they are accurate to today. So they were an incredible culture like that. But what everything is timed around is this one calendar of 260 days. Now, they call it the calendar of humanity. They call it a calendar of, of life. I call it a calendar of reality. And the reason why I call it a calendar of reality is because I see that within its movements, within its motion, you can track cycles of planets, you can tra track eclipse cycles, you can track human gestation, you can track the growth of corn, you can track all of the things that kind of like make our reality a reality. And what I see it as on a larger system of, of being or a larger system of time is a way to, for want of better words, decode the matrix. We can imagine that what we observe around us is like the reality that we observe is kind of like a projection. Okay. Now we are observing it with our senses. And this projection as such is, of course, it's absolutely physical as we are physical. But there are certain rules that it follows. Those rules are things like sacred geometry that's followed by nature. And through use of the sacred calendar, we can kind of decode what is being thrown up onto that, that perception that we have so that we can understand why it moves in the way that it moves. Now, there are other systems out there, the I Ching, the Tarot, the, um, uh, there are certain other mathematical systems that also do the same thing. But this, for me, is the key that I find the most useful in order to help me to decode and to navigate my way through this world. Wow. So how did Mayan calendar come into your life and what was it about it that drew you in? Well, in January of 1998, I was attending a series of uh, presentations in my hometown of Ipswich in England. And these presentations were on a variety of different spiritual kind of topics. And each one had its, you know, there was things on shamanism, there was things on herbalism, there was things on shiatsu. The first one I went to was one on Reiki, which was one which ignited my heart. And from then on in, I'd started studying Reiki. And my original training was as a chemist. And so I tend to be rather discerning with what I pick up and what I take on. And, you know, 
the fact that the first one was on Reiki, the fact that it ignited my heart, I kind of also then balanced by going to a few more and making sure that it wasn't just people talking great stuff about great things. It was literally the Reiki that drew me in. And there wasn't another one that really affected me that deeply for about something like five or six months. And then one was presented about the Mayan calendars and the Mayan culture. Now, up until that point in time, I had heard nothing about it. I knew nothing about it. I come from a very, very down-to-earth place in England. There wasn't anybody. I don't come from a family of hippies or anything like that. There wasn't really anybody that I can ask in my family about stuff that I was experiencing. And... It was very difficult to find this kind of information. This is pre-internet. This is in, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say a little redneck town, but that kind of kind of thing. It's like if I wanted specialist books, I had to go to London to go and find them. And along came this lecture about Mayan calendars, about Mayan culture. And they talked about this calendar that they said was going to end in 2012. And I kind of like, you know, thought about it a bit. I thought, hang on, that's probably, that's that's within my lifetime. I ought to find out more about this. And so it really piqued my interest. And I can't tell you what what really, really grabbed me. But I went and talked to the people that were presenting it. And it turned out that they had a Mayan shamanic school about six miles down the road from where I live. Now, finding a Mayan shamanic school in the UK at all was, you know, it was like finding a needle in a haystack. The fact that it was so close to where I lived seemed like a very interesting synchronicity. And, you know, before before I'd started on this course, I'd been like one of the, the big influences in my life was the Celestine prophecy. So you start seeing synchronicities, you start saying, yeah, sure, I'll follow the white rabbit, right? So I go along to this thing. They have a monthly meeting of this shamanic school. And I went on along to it met a bunch of like-minded souls and really that was it that was me kind of like that was the rabbit hole that I was going to enter within about four months I was in Glastonbury helping them to set up and run a a conference called Maya Dreamtime conference and after that well there was no going back really a year later I had begun my first travel I'd come over to Mexico I sold my house I quit my job I went traveling I came over to Mexico and Guatemala and I don't think I could ever go like you know I, things never looked back after then really what was your job at the time at that particular time I was actually a landscape gardener I had been working for chemical companies and then I worked for a water company and that water company got bought out and, well, I got put on a very low wage. And so I just went out and grabbed a, you know, a job where I could just do a, a very down-to-earth thing. I was planting trees. I was cutting grass. I was doing those kind of things. So you're still doing that. You're still planting seeds for people just in a different way. Absolutely. Well, actually, figur uh, figuratively and literally as well. I mean, obviously, with things going on right now, for me, one of the things about coming to Guatemala and living here was to be closer to the energy that I'm interested in, the energy which is driving my life, but also to be closer to the land, to live in a society where we can really build a more sustainable way of living, to live closer to the earth, because this calendar, this system is all about connecting our pulse to the pulse of the earth, to the rhythms of our natural world. And that's sometimes difficult to do when you're living in a more industrialized society. So... When you talk about living closer to the earth and more in sync with the energy of the earth, what does it actually look like in a practical level? Well, for me, what this calendar does for us is help us to understand the rhythms of the earth and the rhythms of the planets. And when we look at things like Western astrology, which also I have a great interest in, It's not an interest in the way that I have an interest in Mayan astrology, but I very much respect the work that Western astrologers do. There's a great deal of information to be gleaned there as well. What I see, and I don't, I don't really know exactly how to explain this for the best, but it was like when you look into the calendar 
what you see is a common denominator that links together cycles of planets, cycles of eclipses, cycles of the moon, cycles of the earth, and brings it all together into one kind of neat system. And those 260 days spread across 52 years, which gives us something like 13,520 variations, gives us an ability to work with the energies of the land and the energies of the sky without necessarily having to go through a bunch of tables to go and look it up. It's a lot easier to follow. It's like they distilled a system into an easier to follow book than, you know, if I if I want to look up my birth chart, your birth chart or whatever, chances are I need an app. Chances are that if I don't have an app, I need a bunch of books, which is going to tell me where Mercury, Venus, Mars, the moon were on the day of birth at the time of birth and that. Now, with the Mayan system, that has been kind of like distilled and refined to give something which still gives us a key to help to decode reality, but without the degree of um, complexity, let's say. It's not to say that it's not a complex system, and it's not to say that it's not an exact and precise. And as you mentioned earlier, the, the stuff that comes out of it, it can be absolutely spot on. And decoding it is one of the things which helps us to do that. You know, it's kind of like, but in some ways, I see my role within decoding it as I feel like sometimes I'm the guy that reads the sports report or the weather report after the news or something like that. I just understand how to read it. And that's all it is. But I really see it as a, as a, a straightforward system that anybody can learn so that they can guide themselves, their family and their community through this time, through their journey and help them to put their best foot forward. Now, I often refer to the calendar as an energetic weather forecast. A weather forecast is not telling you what to do. It's telling you what's going on so that you can make the choice as to how you wish to work with that. And that, I think, is very important because there is nothing here which is stifling free will. If somebody said to you, let's say that we are, our restrictions are lifted and we decided we're going to go and have a picnic on Sunday. Now, you might check the weather forecast to see what the weather is doing. And it might say that it's going to rain. So if it's going to rain, you have an option to say, right, you know what, it'd be better to go for a picnic another day. You might have the option to say, well, we'll take rain gear and if it rains, we'll be able to stay dry. Or you might say, you know what, the weather forecast is never right anyway. We'll go and hang the weather forecast. Nothing is stopping you from going and having the picnic. In a similar way, if we looked at it like, you know, here we plant our vegetable garden. Now, right now, because we're, we're right at the end of dry season, I have to go and water the vegetable garden every night and every morning. So for me, if I'm looking at a forecast that says rain, I'm saying, wow, this is great. It saves me a job. But if I was going on a hike, I might say, well, you know what? That kind of sucks because I wanted to hike in the dry. So the way that we determine the energy and how we use it, is very dependent on the task and possibly even the energy that we carry. So the same energy can appeal to in different ways to different people. Knowing, or at least having an idea, of what the energy of the day is going to bring into existence is where we have to start from. How we choose to work with that energy of the day is then up to us. Now, what is your experience with bringing this calendar into business? Hmm. That's a really interesting question. I actually was talking with somebody about this a couple of years back. And she said that she felt that it was wrong to bring something which was sacred into an atmosphere like that. Now, I personally feel that it needs to be looked at on a much larger scale. The calendar brings harmony to our society. When we are acting in our best interests, when we are able to follow a rhythm 
that brings harmony to our society, we can create a more productive society. Now, that can be more productive for the company, but it's also more productive for the workers. It's basically looking at putting right people in the right places at the right time so that they get a greater job satisfaction. So they go home feeling better with life. They go home having worked in a more coherent way. And in this way, I think that we make the world a better place. You know, it's like, let's say that if we are in the ancient Mayan world and it's like an ill day, then it's a day maybe for planting the corn. It's a day to go and work in the garden. It's a day to go and work in the milpa. And this is very important to employ the energy of that day in the correct way. Now, in the same way, when we look at it, what are we really trying to do? Well, my view on things is, and this is going to jump around a system, but you may be aware, or you may have seen, there is this, this thing that pops up from time to time, particularly on Facebook, which talks about the Japanese principle of ikigai, of finding your life's purpose. And that comes about by finding out what you're talented about, what you're talented at, what you're passionate about, what you can earn a living doing, and what serves society. You're bringing all four of those items together. This is what I find within the Nawalas. This is what I find within the calendar. Now, understanding our life purpose, understanding what we're good at, helps us to live a more relaxed life. When we live a more relaxed life, we're not stressed when we go home. We go home having led a satisfactory day. We come home feeling like we've been productive. And so we might be more cheerful with our partners, with our kids and all that kind of thing. And so it spreads out into society. Another thing that I like to look at is relationship readings where we can understand composite Nawales. Now, one of the things that I would put forward with regards to business is using composite relationship re relationship readings in order to work out who can work together as a team? Because when everybody is working together, when everybody's pulling their weight, when everybody's happy, when everybody's satisfied in what they're doing, and when everybody is in the right place, we create not just a company that works well together, but a society that works well together, a society that is fulfilled, a society that isn't envious, that isn't jealous, a society that is putting their best foot forward. Now, going back to the, let's say, free will side of things, there is also the idea that when you understand somebody's nawal, when you understand somebody's energy, you understand what tasks they might be good at. And you understand that, you know, not everybody is cut out to be a rock star and not everybody is cut out to be a lawyer and not everybody is cut out to be a surgeon. But if you're trying to be a rock star, but you've got the energy of the lawyer, then maybe you're not going to be the best at it. Maybe you're going to feel frustrated. Your songs aren't going to be so good, that kind of thing. And likewise, if you are trying to be a lawyer or a surgeon, but you have the energy of an artist, of a performer, then, I mean, we can see some crossovers. But this is really about fitting the round pegs into the round holes. And when we start looking at society like that, then we start to understand that we are fulfilling our life's purpose rather than kind of like going for the money, as it were. We end up being more fulfilled in what we do. We end up working together. And so in this way, if we were to look at it from the business perspective and we were to say, right, OK, each Nawal maybe has a place in our company. We have Imosh, the dreamer, who, you know, they've got to be in the department that is bringing, the, bringing out the new things, that's thinking about the design department, you know. If we have an Ik, then they're the communicator, so we make them our spokesman. If we have an Ach, well, they're here to kind of like act as the shoulders, to bear the burden, to make the right decisions. And so there's a place for everybody within the company. Here we also go back to the idea that in maybe an interesting society, everybody would be paid equal because an hour of my life is as valuable as an hour of your life, is as valuable as an hour of anybody's life. And so, like, 
in order to do that, I guess we would have to look at equality of pay to ensure that the people who are growing our food and keep us alive are as recognized as the people that are performing on a stage or however. So, you know, there are some kind of like things within society that may be very, very difficult for many of us to get our heads around right now of how we would have to kind of like bring about a more equal society with regards to pay, but to see that the essence of everybody's Nawal, the essence of everybody's energy has a place within society and a place within the business. What Nawal are you, Mark? Oh, I'm Ish. I am the Ish, which is the connection with Mother Earth, the connection with the sacred signs, and the connection with the divine feminine. Mm, and I am Ik, hence I have a podcast and I'm a <laughs> professional communicator. <laughs> Absolutely. So your past is Ish, and my future mm. is Ik. And hence, this may also be why it's later on in life that I've chosen to start making videos and communicate more about this thing. So I would love to talk about that. What role has the internet and technology played in your work? And at what point did you start going public with this work? Well, once again, that's a really interesting question. So I started my study of the calendar in 1998. And in 2011, 13 years later, I finally got, I'm going to use the word bullied because it was bullying as a such in the best possible way, into giving my very first reading. It took me 13 years to feel like I was ready. It took me 13 years to feel like I could give the correct information in the correct way to people. And so I started giving these readings. And the first thing was I started writing them out and just giving people the written readings. Then one day, funnily enough, I mean, things happen in the weirdest way to push you forward. I was having a haircut, my annual haircut. And... Um, the uh, the girl that was cutting my hair asked me to give her a reading. And so I had to do everything just off the top of my head. I had to do everything just thinking her, her Mayan cross through, just understanding it from that perspective without the sheets of paper. And what actually came out was something which was far more far-reaching, it was something which was far more spot on. And I would say that there's something about naturally engaging with our ability to, to connect with the Nawalis that brings out more. Because when you're sitting behind a keyboard, when you're typing stuff out, sometimes that kind of like, it can be a bit constrictive. And what I find is that my calendar is the key into something which is more than the calendar. And what happens is that as I'm giving readings to people, different things come out. And things come out in a way that people need to hear it at that point in time. And what we're doing is we're helping people to find their path. We're helping people to get onto the road. So that was how it started. And then people said to me, well, we want to get a reading from you, but we're not going to be here. Could we do it over Skype? And my first, I, I don't know why this is, but my first thing is like always there's a resistance. In first, it was, I don't know whether I'm ready to give a reading. And then it was like, well, I don't know about giving a reading that's not in person. And then I started giving readings over Skype and I found that actually it worked exactly just as well as readings had by face to face. And then I started teaching Mayan astrology in person. Now, just after that was when I received my Bala Sagrada in 2015. And part of the, the training in the, the tradition that I received my Bala anyway was that it starts off, I go to my teacher and I said to him, I would like to go through my initiation process. Can we do it? Now, I'd been working with my teacher for about four years at that point in time. And he kind of like 
let out a sigh of relief and said, finally, you've asked me. Thank you. Because like anything else, a lot of it depends on, you know, it's like if we wanted to go and learn massage, we go and we ask to do a massage course, right? And so it's the same thing. We have to ask. We have to make our commitment because it is a commitment. So it started off at receiving 13 ceremonies over 260 days. These are cleansing ceremonies. I then received my Bara Sagrada, my sacred bundle, in my initiation ceremony, which was on 5-ish, which was 23rd of February of 2015. I then was set a task. And that task is about getting to know your trade because basically... At that point in time, you're known as Akhpatan, which is basically, it's a bit like having your pea plates. You're not quite a learner, but you're not quite qualified yet. And you still need to prove something. You need to kind of like get some experience under your belt. Now, to become Akhpik, as I was referred to, as I'm told that I am, Akhpik, which means he of the days, Akh meaning he of and meaning day or sun. So it's somebody who knows the days. Now, the role of an aqiq is primarily with the calendar and with ceremonies. And what my next job was, was that over the next 260 days from February 2015 through to October 2015, I had to make 60 ceremonies on the one, six, and eight days of the sacred calendar. That was my task to kind of like get to know the Nawales, to get to know the fire, to get to, to prove myself, as it were. Now, in those ceremonies, was it just you or did you hold it for others? No, it, mainly in those ceremonies, it was just me. It was me in my garden. Occasionally, there might be a couple of people that came along that wanted to see something or wanted to do something. Or occasionally, I might be, they might coincide with other members of the community. And so we would be holding the ceremony like for Akik working together or something like that. But in general, it was just me. So it was kind of like it was at least once a week and sometimes twice a week. It was you and the fire. And was there any cacao involved? Um, I always make an offering of cacao and cacao beans to the Nawal Anil. Because this is about planting our seed in the fire to bring forward the richness, to bring forward the abundance. Mm -hmm. So once I'd finished my 60 ceremonies, I was then in a position where I was no longer obliged to make ceremony on every one, six and eight day. I still made the ceremony on every one day and eight day, but I kind of wanted to keep going and I wanted to do something a bit more. And so what I decided to do was to make a ceremony every day, but a different type of ceremony. And this ceremony was to, the way that I saw it was creating a prayer at a digital altar. And so in, I think, early November of 2015, I launched my blog for the very first time. And I started it on one akbal, the day after my Mayan cross finishes, the day after 13 Iq. And that's where it all started. That's where it went since. And so like that got out there. And then I suppose the final kind of like piece of the puzzle was to start um, teaching over Zoom, which is something which I am doing quite frequently. And in some ways, you know, it's like, there are some great benefits to working with the internet. Firstly, at the moment, obviously, no one's going anywhere. And so we're able to do things without having to leave. We also can look at it from the point of view that we are polluting less. We are able to do things from these places. We're able to work with this knowledge from our own place. And this is very important. Now, I've had some interesting things sort of said to me with regards to people saying that, um, or I have friends in Antigua that will say when they want something in English language, they tend to refer people to my blog because it's as close to what the elders say as they can find. And one of the things which I also see with this and which I've also been told is that I act as a bridge. I have had 
the very good fortune of a good education. I have the very good fortune of a passport which lets me move about a lot. I have had the the good fortune of being in the right places at the right times so that I can help to bring this out to the world with the respect to the culture here. Because I think one of the things that I see which really saddens me is that some of the people here don't realize how incredible their ancestors were because of 500 years of occupation, 500 years of brainwashing, they don't realize just how advanced their ancestors are. And what I would hope to do is help to get out to the world just how incredible this civilization is. And one of the other things that we have here which we don't have in places like Egypt, which we don't have with regards to the Greeks and that kind of thing, is that the archaeology here is something which is still in a relatively early phase. They're still digging up stuff up in Peten, which is taking the timeline back further and further and further. They're digging up stuff which is tying in with the with the Popol Vuh, the, the sacred book of the Maya, up in El Mirador, up in these places. And so when you look at Egypt, like Egypt, well, the Romans were tourists in, in Giza, right? So like the the study of Egyptology has been going on for a very long time. And that's not to say that we know everything or anything like that. It's just that what we're in with the the Mayan culture and with the Mayan civilization is something where everything is very flexible and we're still in a very much a learning phase. It's an exciting, pioneering place to be. One of the interesting things to do is to bridge the living culture with the archaeology, to bridge the living culture with what's being dug up. And I think that one of the things that we see here is there is a lot of, you know, the the wisdom which is being held by the elders, but the elders are not able to, or not so many of them, work with the internet. Not so many of them work with modern technology and this kind of thing. And so we have various groups of people with various knowledge And we are in this most fortunate time to be able to draw this knowledge together, to help to create something by understanding what comes from the lake and what comes from Momos and what comes from Antigua and what comes from Poptun and what comes from Peten and what comes from Mexico. And being able to see how we can draw it together in a way that we we just couldn't do it 20 years ago. You know, the books were few and far between. There was no internet, all of these things. We're in a very exciting time for this, I think. Wow. And you talk about being the bridge, you talk about the digital altar, and you talk about sharing this work with the respect, with the culture that has held it for many years. This is a conversation that comes up a lot in cacao circles that I've been a part of as how can we carry this tradition and share this tradition with others in a way that is respectful to the cultures that have been holding those traditions. So what is your experience with that as a Western person who does have access to the internet, who does speak English and has been living in the community as part of it for so many years? It's always a question which is incredibly sensitive And we need to be very sensitive to this culture because after all, up until 1996, I mean, the eradication of this culture was something which was on like on the menu for in many places. Now, I live in Guatemala. I work in Guatemala. I am part of groups with various indigenous people here. And this also means that sometimes people look at me and they're kind of like, well, what's the foreigner doing here? But, you know, this is my home now. I know I I wasn't born here. I know that I don't have this DNA. I never will. That's that. I would, I've tried to learn Tsutuhil. It's a very challenging language for me to learn, to be quite honest. Um, But I work with the blessing of the elders, the ones that I work with anyway. And some people don't understand that. Some people haven't seen that. Some people wonder what I'm doing. Now, we also do work within the community right now. Obviously, there's a big call out 
and to help to support the communities here because the people depend on tourism. The tourism is not happening and we need to get food to these people right now. And so this is as much a part of this spiritual journey as anything else. And so, you know, obviously working with people outside of the country means that we're able to bring resources into the country. They pay me, I pay the people in the villages here and we can keep the economy moving. So this is not not such a bad thing. It's also important to do things with respect to understand the way that things are truly done, to call things by their right name, to respect the people and the culture that it came from. I also like to be able to, you know, give back to this community, give back to the elders that have taught me, you know, and support their work. You know, it's kind of like it's literally being the bridge to to help that in a way as well. And so this is something that I certainly do, you know, with my calendar to help to give back to give a percentage of what I earn back to the community to make sure that this culture supports the community that it came from. That's so beautiful. And on a personal level, I'm curious, how do you not take it personally when you do get those call outs of what is the foreigner doing here? <laughs> One of my friends said to me, you know, the first thing you need to um, develop as naqdik is a very thick skin. And, you know, quite honestly, sometimes, you know, the funny thing is, what I have found is that the elders, the ones who are kind of like in their 40s and 50s and older, I have wonderful conversations with them. We we get on really well. It's some of the younger, you know, 20-something, 30-something nationalistic kind of people. I understand. I mean, I totally, I totally get it. They come from a culture which has been persecuted, a people that have been persecuted, a people that has been used as slaves. And here we are. Now, all we can do, and from my point of view, it's like keep respectful keep ourselves carry ourselves in the way where our actions speak where our words can't this is the first and foremost important kind of thing and you know it's kind of like if we are being authentic if we are working with integrity if we are working with truth if we are working with humility then basically we're not giving people the ammunition with which to shoot us is one way of looking at it. And that's all I can do. And if people choose to have a pop at me for, for what they perceive, then that's percep their perception. And I have to say, okay, well, whatever, but I'm really not doing that. This is the way that I'm choosing to work. As I say, it's like the what we can bring to this country, what we can help people with, how we can get the community involved if necessary to help to to bring, you know, some of that abundance into this community, into this country is something that we can all help with. And so, you know, I think that as Nakik, one of the ways that it is also defined is as a spiritual guide. This is, you know, the, the word shaman is frowned upon. The word priest is frowned upon. We don't call them Mayan shaman. We don't call them Mayan priest. They are spiritual guides. That is the way that they generally refer to themselves. Or akik is the proper way. And in order to be a guide, in order to have some form of leadership within the community, we have to get over taking things personally, especially, you know, as I say, if we are doing everything with a clear conscience, if we're doing everything that we can to be supportive, to lead within our community, to support our community, then sometimes we just don't have a case to answer. And so people will, you know, people love, it's like wherever we go, it's the tall poppy syndrome, I think is one way of looking at it, isn't it? You know, people love to shoot down the, the one that they see putting their head above the parapets. And it's certainly something that, you know, through things on the internet is always something where you take a chance. There's always somebody that wants to, to say something that has to have an opinion in that. And it's like, after a while, you just get used to it, really. Hmm. That's so beautiful. And you speak of the calendar being a key to something more than the calendar. And I think you might have been pointing to that 
spiritual guide portion of it. So when you went to the Mayan shamanic school and you went through those initiations, what is what is that work? And how does it tie into the calendar? Well, with those things, the way I would say that there are several different ways that you learn. And the ways that you learn, the way that the knowledge and experience and understanding maybe more than knowledge is imparted to you is firstly through sitting with the elders. Secondly, through a lot of listening around the fire. Thirdly, through books, through research, and fourthly, through dreams. It comes through all of those media. And it's asking you kind of like, sometimes it's about stepping up to the plate. You know, it's kind of like, okay, you want to take this on? Let's see how you're ready to take that on. And, you know, things come to you and they're like, well, you accepted the bundle. So it's your turn to do that kind of thing, right? One of the things, not long after I was initiated, I was asked to kind of like do some kind of wedding blessing. I was like, well, I've never been trained in this. What do I do? And they said, well, you're an Akik. You're supposed to know what to do. And so I was like, right, okay. So I sat down and I went through my books and I went through my notes and I went through my understandings and that. And I started writing down the way that I thought I could put something together. And then I went to my teacher and then I went to my my friends and I put it out there and I said, well, what do you think of this? And they said, yeah, yeah. Oh, how about including that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, that's how we do it. And that's the way that it works. It's kind of like, you know, when you like some people will say you don't go to university to learn a subject. You go to university to learn how to learn. Mm. Well, the same applies here. You go through this process to understand how to connect to spirit so that you can guide people. And we work with the calendar to understand what is the most beneficial timing in order to carry out various tasks. We also work with the calendar to understand what is the best timing for various ceremonies. But one of the other things that we do is that we receive a bundle which contains tzite seeds. Now, tzite are these little red beans. And tzite are this bundle that we receive has been initiated on the altars uh, of where we, you know, where we're being attached to, as it were. It's like, basically, the bag is almost like an intermediary between us and the spirit of those altars. And so, for 13 times, my teacher took my, my bag of tite seeds to the altar, made ceremony with me present. And it's kind of like bridging. Everything's about bridging. Everything in the Mayan world is about weaving, right? We weave new humans through gestation. We weave art. We weave colors. We're weaving words right now. So it's all about weaving. And in this way, my energy was woven to the energy of that altar through this bag of tite. Now, the tite seeds we use for divination, and this is certainly um, a form of guidance. Now, again, you know, we kind of like we're given the beans, we're given uh, some instruction on how to use them. And I don't know, it's maybe a slightly more obscure work of an akik. And then somebody comes along and says, uh, yeah, well, I've got this question, so I really need you to do a divination for me. And I would say now I have a lot of confidence in doing it. But the first couple of times I'm, you know, making the divination. I'm, I'm counting out the beans. I'm counting out the seeds. And I give my interpretation. And the person is kind of sitting there with their jaw on the floor asking me how the heck I could possibly know that. And I'm like, it's the power of the beans. That's kind of what it is. You know, it's really incredible the way... This is like, I see a lot of completeness in this system. I see the way that it all works together between, you know, we figure out from the tite seeds, we figure out what day on which to do what kind of ceremony in order to have an effect of an action which brings more harmony to the community. And this is what we do. The role, as far as I can see, of an akik 
is about bringing harmony to communities and preserving the harmony in communities. And we do that partly by making the fire ceremonies. The fire ceremonies I see as beacons of energy which help to keep the peace, keep the balance in the local environment. So the more ceremony that we are doing, the more that we are invoking the days, the more that we are making our prayers in our places, the greater the wave of harmony that we are propagating for our community. And so it doesn't matter whether we have just ourselves or five or 50 people along at whatever ceremony it is. When we're making ceremony, we're always making it on behalf of the community. We're always making it in order to keep the peace, in order to bring prosperity to our community, because when our community prospers, everybody prospers and there is peace. Yes. And when you speak of ceremony, I want to get a little bit more into that. I have a flashback of being in Guatemala with my friends who have a cacao brand, Cacao Lab, and they work with Mayan elders from the Tsutu Hill community. And we visited a cacao farm and, okay. and the people who run the farm invited us to participate in a cacao ceremony. And so I was saving my belly and my heart all day, expecting to drink this delicious cacao and we show up and it was counting the beans at the fire. That's what the ceremony was like. And, you know, to me, coming from New York City, where cacao ceremony means sitting in a circle and opening our hearts, maybe there's an element of music and drinking cacao. It meant something completely different. And both are cacao ceremonies. So one part of this question is, what does ceremony even mean? What are the essential components of it? What makes something a ceremony? And the second part is, in your experience, uh, is drinking cacao part of your experience in any way? Okay. Well, I'll start with the second question first, because that's the easiest one to answer. Um, the tradition that I come from does not involve cacao in the fire ceremonies which I have attended. That doesn't mean that it's never used, but it tends to be used more as a household drink than it does around the fire. I have certainly seen cacao being used and presented, but it's more like uh, the coffee beside that, you know, you go along to a presentation and they serve coffee kind of thing, rather than anything which is in a particular ceremonial use. Now, the counting that you refer to what I see in every ceremony, the ceremonies down here by the lake are different. They are something which has changed and certainly with the resurgence in the cacao spirit lately, we are certainly seeing more cacao being offered in ceremony. We are seeing people turn up with bottles of cacao to share before ceremony, but this is not the tradition that I have seen before a couple of years ago. The ceremonies that I make are fire ceremonies. They involve sugar and candles and usually panela, which is a block of raw cane sugar, and okote, which is a form of pitch pine. And what else do we use? We use sesame seeds. We use some cigars. We use some aguardiente, which is uh, usually the Quetzalteca brand, which you may be familiar with if you've been to Guatemala, because you see it in all the ceremonies. I use agua florida and I use rosemary for healing ceremonies, for, for cleansing ceremonies on the Nawal Tihash. I use cacao beans to offer, to plant the seeds of our dreams, to plant the seeds of our projects and plans as an offering for the Nawal Anil and a lot of candles. And so this is what we do. And so basically the ceremony, the fire ceremony would take place in several different phases and it usually takes about two and a half hours. First of all, we, we invoke the day. We set out our fire. And I'm very happy to share some pictures of sacred fires with you if you'd like to see them. But we set out our fire. We set out what could be considered to be a feast for the Nawalis. This is a table. This is an offering 
to the 20 energies, to the 20 essences of creation. We set out this beautiful, it's like creating a, a colorful mandala. And we create it from all these different colors of candles, all these sugars, all these different sweet and tasty things that we're putting onto the fire. And then we invoke the four first couples. And then I invoke my the my teachers, or at least I give thanks to my teachers. And then I invoke the sacred sites around the world where I've made ceremony. And then I'll start the fire. And when we start the fire, we're calling on the essences of the 20 Nawales, the 260 days of the calendar. And we are giving thanks for what has come from those Nawales. We are asking for pardon for when we've kind of like not got it right, for when we've been a bit too human, as it were. And we are asking for what we need in life, because this is something which sometimes we're a bit shy about. We, sometimes we forget that the whole purpose of calling these these Nawalis, these energies into this fire is to express ourselves. And maybe we need some help to bring us faith. And maybe we need some healing in our lives. And maybe we need some clarity in our vision. And maybe we need for our path to be cleared. And we can ask the appropriate Nawal to do that on our behalf. And we make our little offering to the fire. But you know what? One of the things that somebody said to me was that it doesn't matter how many candles, how much incense, how many pounds of sugar you put on the fire. What really counts is the words that come from your heart. It's about having your heart in the right place with whatever you do. Now, one of the things that I also find very interesting is this idea about coherence, about the heart and the brain working together in harmony, about coming into a coherent state. And that is the state that I feel that we should be achieving in ceremony. So if we are doing it out of our mind, if we are just repeating stuff parrot fashion, I don't necessarily see that as ceremony. What I see as ceremony is going into whatever we are doing with our hearts open and expressing our creativity, expressing our love and expressing ourselves through that open heart to each other. And in that way, a ceremony is anything from these beautiful fire ceremonies to the cacao ceremonies that you're making to going and having a coffee with somebody and opening your heart to them. Everything can be seen as ceremony. And one thing that I feel is that that's something which we have forgotten in our modern world. We've gone into this life of convenience where a meal used to be a ceremony, where a prayer was said at the beginning, or at least thanks were given at the beginning of a meal. We've gone to grabbing something from a drive through and stuffing it in our face while we drive down the freeway kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's kind of like the ceremonial aspect of life has been removed. And in that way, I feel that we've lost a little bit of our heart. We've lost a bit of our soul. And so going back to ceremony, you know, not everybody has the time. Very few people, in fact, have the time to sit and make a three-hour Mayan fire ceremony every week. Very few people have the training to do it. Very few people have the, the, you know, the ability to do that. But if once a week or once a day or once a month, however it feels right, you take five minutes to light a candle to stare at that candle, to give thanks for everything that you have, for every breath that you take, every morsel of food on your table, to give thanks for the roof over your head and a safe place to sleep, to give thanks for your friends and your family, then that is ceremony. And if everybody could take five minutes a week to do that, I think we'd be living in a very different world. Wow, this is so beautifully said, Mark, and it's such a beautiful vision and a reminder with gratitude as the essence of ceremony. It's so simple and I can just feel the words flowing from your heart. And I'm so grateful for having this conversation with you and sharing your wisdom with the listeners. And before we wrap up, I'm sure everyone's listening is curious about what their Noel is. So if you could first tell us how people can find out what their Noel is. And then second, how can people connect with your work and support your work and spread the word? 
Well, certainly there are plenty of apps out there that will tell you what your Noel is. Some of them, uh, there are a couple of different systems. If you want to work with the system which is used by the elders here, then something like Mayan Calendar Portal or MayanCross.com. These are places where you can find out your Noel. You can find out the basics. If you want to go more in depth, then I offer readings over Zoom or Skype. And you can find out all the details on my website, which is the fourpillars.net. Or, you know, alternatively, you can connect with my Facebook page, which is also called The Four Pillars. And you'll see that it's all about Mayan astrology. This is where I give my interpretation of the energy of each day. So I try to give quite a lot of information out there to help people to navigate. But if you want to go into more detail about your particular Nawal, your particular energy, your particular mission, then that's probably better done um, in a private session with me. Morgan, have you considered starting a podcast? At the moment, with the way that my life goes, I make a video every 13 days about the Tracena. And that kind of like is between that and writing on a daily basis is kind of like, I think that's about as much as I can handle for now. But who knows, it might happen in the future. Mm, and planting that seed, because I feel like there's so many more people that you could reach and impact through podcast, maybe just even taking the videos and taking the audio from that and publishing it as a podcast. Okay, that's a great idea. I'll have to think about that. Awesome. Well, if I can support you in any way, I'm here. And once again, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation and for all the work that you do. You're so welcome. It's lovely meeting you. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes and share it with a friend who you think could benefit from the message. Find all the show notes and all the resources on WokenWired.com and also join the WokenWired podcast listener Facebook group. It's a private group where you can connect with people who are like-minded and say hello on Instagram. Find me at Woke and Wired. Stay woke, stay wired, and take three deep breaths right now. <laughs>